welcome to the P4C podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 14 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2015, Holiness. We now join Eric Koher for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. Have your Bible, go ahead and be turning that to turning in that to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. One, one verse was the verse that was assigned to me, but we're going to look at a little broader context uh, here as we look at that verse. And so uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Verses 5 through 11. Let me pray before we uh, begin our time here and dive into God's Word. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's inspired, it's infallible. Uh, every, every word of it that we have from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is God-breathed, and it's useful for our teaching, correcting, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you that as we behold you in your Word, we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is implanted in our hearts and in our souls. And uh, Lord, we, we want to be memorizing your word, meditating on your word, uh, uh, hiding it in our hearts. We want to be thinking upon it, pondering it, sharing it. Uh, Lord, help us to be so consumed and so saturated with your word uh, that our lives bear great conformity to your son, Jesus Christ, which is your greatest desire for us, that we glorify you, but we glorify you specifically by bearing uh, increasing conformity to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I am really happy about the fact that in the last two messages or so, there's been such an encouragement and such an emphasis on the memorization of God's Word. I mean, that's what David said, right? How, how can a young man keep his way pure but to hide God's Word in our hearts? And uh, we have heard it said this weekend that if, if we're not hiding anything in our hearts, then what does the Spirit have to draw upon? And the input always equals output, right? You put good gas in your car and your car runs well. You put bad gas in your car and your engine doesn't run well. Why do we think we're any different spiritually? Input equals output. Uh, and so we want to be putting God's Word in our hearts and minds, hiding it in our hearts and minds. I'll, I'll never forget as a young Christian, the man discipling me, telling me this. He said, actually, he gave me a Bible shortly after I came to Christ, and he had written on the inside cover of it. And uh, he wrote these words. He said, Eric, sin will keep you far from this book, but this book will keep you far from sin. And... Uh, you know, I, as I've discipled young men through the years, I've tried to help them understand that much time in God's Word results in much resemblance to God's Son. And uh, I mean, those are, those are indelible truths that you can take to the bank. And, uh, and so be, be hiding God's Word in your heart. Memorize it. Memorize chunks of it, portions of it, chapters of it. Uh, and, and just revel in God's Word. God has... He is a self-disclosing God. 
He, he has not created us, fashioned us, and left us here without any disclosure of his nature, character, and attributes. And he's done it in nature, right? That's Romans 1. That, that we're, so much so that we're without excuse. God has revealed his nature, character, and attributes and what he's made so that all men are without excuse. But, but even more than that, because a man can't look at nature and, and be converted, he's given us his word. He's disclosed his word to us. Uh, and it's upon hearing his word that we can have faith, uh, right? And so God has revealed himself. He's disclosed himself. He wants to be known uh, by us. And, and uh, hopefully we want to know him increasingly as we grow in our walks uh, with God. But the, the topic that's been assigned to me this morning is the idea that God's holiness, that that attribute of His, which God's holiness is really at the end of the day the sum total of all of His attributes. It's who He is. It's in a human terms a way that we can describe the immensity of God, His holiness, the, the perfection of all of His nature, the perfection of all of His character, the perfection of all of His attributes. He is holy. And there's a part of His holiness that that is reserved for Him alone. But there is a part of His holiness, and I know this is hard for our finite minds to understand how, how this works, but there is a part of God's holiness which He shares with us. And, and as we talk about which of God's attributes He shares and which of God's attributes He doesn't share uh, with us, theologians have typically grouped those attributes in, into two different categories. Those attributes that are communicable, in other words, those that He that he shares with us, and those attributes that are incommunicable. So communicable attributes of God would be things like his faithfulness, things he shares with us, his goodness, his holiness, again, in in part at least, knowledge, love, mercy, truthfulness, wisdom, And we could continue on there, but those are some of God's attributes in which He shares with us. And not only that, but but we love those attributes, we admire those things, because we're made in the image of God. You ever wonder why you desire truth? Well, because you were created and fashioned by a God who loves and desires truth. And that's part of what it means, at least, to be made in the image of God, is that we desire the things that He desires. But God also has incommunicable attributes, things with which He does not share with us, things that that are other than, that set Him apart from His creation, things like immutability, things like His infiniteness, His omniscience, His omnipotence, His omnipresence, His self-existence, His sovereignty, or His transcendence. And again, the list could go on. Those are but a few of his innumerable attributes. But those are a few that he does not share with us. But the text we're going to look at here this morning tells us that we have the ability by grace to share in God's holiness or to be partakers of God's holiness. There is a part of God's holiness which he shares with us. Uh, which he has implanted in us, and he desires that it be, at least in a practical sense, growing. Remember, we said when we uh, first began the conference this week that that there is a 
positional holiness, that which is perfected at our conversion. It is 100% complete. You can, in that sense, never be more holy than you are right now if you possess Jesus Christ by faith. It's done. Completely holy, positionally. The way that God sees you. Because as God looks at you and as God looks at me in Christ, He sees us covered in the shed blood of Christ found in Him, clothed in His righteousness, positionally holy. And what we've began to talk about, or begun to talk about over the last couple of days, is this practical holiness, the outworking of our holiness, how we are to grow in practical, daily conformity into the image of God's Son. He predestined us in love that we might be conformed into the image of His Son. And so whether we use the term practical holiness or progressive sanctification, uh, that's, you can use either of those terms. And that's, that's correct. And sometimes I'll slip into using them both, but we mean the same thing when we say those. Practical holiness or daily growth in holiness and, um, progressive sanctification, progressively becoming more and more like Christ by God's grace as we are brought before the mirror of His Word, uh, that's what's taking place in us. Progressive sanctification. Here's the reality, friends, brothers, and sisters. Though, Though at our conversion, made completely holy, practically, we're not the end product yet. We're not the end product yet. We're being made holy daily. Uh, As we spend time in God's Word, as we memorize it, meditate on it, hide it in our hearts and hide it in our minds, we are bearing more resemblance to God's Son. At least uh, we we should be. Let, Let me tell you this. Everything that's living grows. Anybody a biology major? Nobody? Pre med? Med? I know we have some nurses in here. Spoke with one last night. Everything that's living grows. If it's not growing, it's not living. Okay? The same is true of us spiritually. If we are alive spiritually, we will be growing. It's an indisputable fact. Now, that growth looks different in each of us. Uh, If if we don't spend time in God's Word consistently, our our growth might not uh, be as quick or might not look as fruitful uh, as, uh, as if we do. But if it is living, if, if we have been given new life, you will be growing. And if you're not growing, then you should ask some questions as to whether or not you're living spiritually. Everyone is born physically alive, but we're born spiritually dead, N- needing to be born again. Right? Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Born physically alive, born spiritually dead. Needing to be born again spiritually. To be made alive spiritually. And um, at that point, at our conversion, we begin to grow spiritually, to uh, be conformed more and more into the image and likeness of His Son. And that, that whole idea, that whole reality that we're not, we're, we're not the end product, is, is encouraging at the same time because we have texts like this memorized. 
Philippians 1.6. Pop quiz. Who hasn't memorized? Philippians 1.6. That's as good as gold. You can take it to the bank. This is the confidence we have. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Hey, brothers and sisters, it's not open for debate. He will. He that began a good work in you will complete it. And I have the incredible task uh, tomorrow to talk about the completion of our holiness. And, uh, but, but we have that assurance. We have that encouragement that he who began a good work in us will complete it. It's not up for question. It's not up for debate. He will do it. He will make good on his promise. So with all that being said by way of introduction and context, now since you have your Bible sitting on your lap, and I have already mentioned the text that we are going to consider, let's turn our attention there. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, let's look at verses 5 through 11. The writer of the epistle of the Hebrews, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pens these words. He says this, he says, And you... I'm sorry, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, that is our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he God disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me ask you this question. What is God's greatest desire for you? What is God's greatest desire for you? Is it your comfort? Is it your happiness? Is it pleasure? Is it relationships? Is it the absence of pain? What is God's greatest desire for you? You can answer. That we would be refined. What else? That we can share in His holiness, that we would be with Him for all eternity. He created us for Himself, by Himself, for Himself. What else? To do His will. What is His will? To desire Him above all others. That we should love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, that he would be the supreme object of our desire, that he would be our true treasure. What else? What's that? 
Go into all the earth, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. What else? What? Love others. Yeah, the second part of the greatest commandment there. Yeah, he predestined us before the world began to be conformed into the image of his son. Yes, those are, those are all right. I, I think we have to say this, just lest somebody get a little bit uh, unsettled here. What is God's greatest desire for you? Well, God's greatest desire for you is that you glorify him. Okay, that's, that's the overarching umbrella. Now, how, the question we must ask, how do we best glorify him? Okay. We best glorify Him by looking most like Him. What is God's supreme desire for you? Well, God's supreme desire for you is that you glorify Him. How do you best glorify Him? You look most like Him. You look most like Him. How do we do that? Well, God's a self-disclosing God, isn't He? And He's given us divine revelation. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Much time in God's Word results in much resemblance to God's Son. In other words, you become like those whom you spend time with. It's the principle of relationships, right? You become like those whom you spend most time with. We spend the most time with the Lord Jesus and we'll bear a lot of conformity to him. We'll we'll look a lot like him. Um, But we have this great promise that he who began a good work in us will complete it. Uh, You know, I I read a marriage book, uh, not... Uh, I guess it has been several years ago, but, but it had this subtitle. What if God's desire for you is to make you holy rather than happy? You see, the world flips those two things upside down, right? The world loves a, a Jesus who's all about their happiness. But when we start talking about holiness, that's another story, isn't it? But what if, and it's not a what if, it's, a, it's settled in God's word. What if God's greatest desire for you is not your happiness, but rather your holiness, but what if, at the same time, your holiness, because it's what you were designed for, will ultimately lead to your greatest happiness? Right? What if what you were made for, holiness, is in the end what will ultimately make you the most happy? And that is the case. It's not a question. Living for what we were made for makes us the most happy. God's greatest desire for his children is that we share in his holiness. Paul says it this way, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Some different language, but saying the same thing there in Ephesians 3.19. You see, as we grow in the Christian life, our desire for holiness grows. But we must never forget this. As, As we grow in the Christian life, our desire for holiness grows. And that should be the case, right? If it's living, it's growing. And we ought to desire to be growing more, to be bearing more and more conformity or more and more likeness to God's Son. But we must never forget that God desires your holiness more than you ever will. God desires your holiness more than you or I ever will. You see, the only way that we can be separated from sin and thereby partake in His holiness and be filled up with His fullness is to be conformed to the image of His Son, which requires that we humbly accept His fatherly discipline. You see, progressive sanctification, the Christian life isn't just like this. The Christian life looks a little more like this, right? It's progressive sanctification. And we take steps forward by God's grace. And sometimes we fall, right? 
And then we take some steps forward and sometimes we fall. But if, if we look at the big picture, we ought to see a progression in growth. If this is what our life looks like spiritually, we ought to ask a whole lot of questions. Okay? Not, not, not every day is going to be cloud nine spiritually. But there ought to be, as we look at the big picture, clear and undeniable evidence of growth. Forward movement. Sanctification. Right? And that requires that we humbly accept God's fatherly discipline and correction when we're disobedient. When we're not bearing conformity to God's Son. God disciplines us. Why does He discipline us? Because He loves us. Because He cares for us. And because He wants us to bear more resemblance to His Son. And because He's more committed to our holiness than we could ever be. Right? Let me give you two reasons for God's discipline. Because that's what the text is is dealing with here. We're talking about discipline. Matter of fact, that word from uh, verses 5 through 11 appears multiple, multiple times. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. That's what verse 10 says. So let me give you two reasons that I think are clear from the text here uh, for God's discipline. Number one, if you want to take notes, is this. God's discipline confirms His love for us. The presence of God's discipline in our lives confirms his love for us. Look at verse 6. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. You see, if we are in Christ, if we're God's children, God loves his children, and he's bound by his nature and his covenant to do them good, and as a result, whatever we receive from God's hand, whatever it is that we receive from God's hand, including discipline, is a display of his fatherly love and care for us. An undisciplined child is an unloved child. An undisciplined child is an unloved child. Spare the rod, spoil the child, right? More than any earthly father, God wants his children to be righteous, to be mature, to be obedient, to be responsible, to be trusting. How many of you ever heard this line? I'm sure every hand could fly up really quick here, but... Uh, the old adage, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many times I heard that right before the paddle came out. You see, we didn't have a belt growing up, we had a paddle. And not only did we have a paddle, we had multiple paddles because my knee and my hip bone and whatever was accessible when that paddle was on the downswing would oftentimes break it in two. And so my dad would go out to the uh, garage and he would take the jigsaw and he'd cut out a new paddle. Uh, But I tell you what, I am a different man today because of that paddle. And I knew exactly what that meant when that paddle came out. But I heard that line oftentimes growing up, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And in my little mind, I thought, there is no way that can be true. (laughs) There's no way that can be true. Because I know what it feels like when that thing's on the downswing. You see, that's hard for a child to grasp until that child grows up and has children of their own. You see, a loving parent gets no joy, gets no satisfaction out of discipline itself. You see, the joyful part of discipline is the eventual result of that discipline. It's the growth that that discipline produces, we pray. And God, the perfect parent, is the same. God God gets no enjoyment or no satisfaction out, out of the process of discipline. But God disciplines us for our good. 
He disciplines us that we might be partakers in his, in his holiness. We might share in his holiness. And that does bring great honor and glory to the Lord. That does bring him great joy and satisfaction. It's not the process of discipline, um, but it's, it's the product. It's the result of discipline that is good. It's fruitful. You see, I love this text in Lamentations 3. It says this, it says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. Just think about discipline here. The Lord will not cast off forever, but though He cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love, for He does not afflict from His heart or grieve the children of men. You see, it grieves the heart of the Lord when He disciplines us, just like it grieves the heart of a parent to discipline their child. But it's for their good. And so ultimately God is glorified as he disciplines us, that we might bear more conformity to his son. You see, God loves with an infinite love, and he's sensitive to the needs and the feelings of his children. He never disciplines us beyond what we can bear. He never disciplines us beyond what we need. He disciplines us perfectly, because he's a perfect father. Discipline. It's that Greek word, peduo, and it actually means to educate or to instruct. We think about discipline, and sometimes we have this, this kind of this instant negative connotation, discipline. Uh, but, but the original language there is, it's to educate. It's to instruct. It's to help us grow. To ready us for the day when we stand before Him in glory. You ever ask the question, what is God doing in my life today? Let me tell you what God's doing in your life today. God's readying you for the day when you stand toe-to-toe before Him. In everything that God is doing in your life, at this very moment, in an ultimate sense, can be answered with this statement. God is doing what he's doing to ready you for eternity. Now, positionally, we're already readied for eternity, right? Practically, we're being made ready for eternity. So God, in this trial, in these circumstances, in this pain, in this tragedy, in this confusion, when I don't know what to do, when I don't know what you're doing, what are you doing? You're readying me for eternity. Boy, that allows us to humbly submit to God's leading in our lives, right? God, what are you up to? We know you're always up to good. You're always glorifying yourself in my life and in my circumstances. But ultimately, what are you doing? You're readying me for the day when I stand before you in glory. You're readying me for that day. So God's discipline, it confirms his love. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Well, God's discipline also confirms our sonship. It confirms our sonship. Not only does it confirm his love, but it confirms our sonship. Look at verses 7 and 8. The writer of Hebrews says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Think about this. All men, at least in our natural state, are subject to God's punishment. Right? We're without excuse. So all men in our natural state, all women in their natural state are subject to God's punishment, but God's children and God's children are alone are subject to His discipline. There's a major distinction there. 
We'll talk about it here in just a minute. Look at verse 6. He chastises every son whom he receives. Look at verse 7. God is treating us as sons. You see, those are exclusive statements. Exclusive statements. Only those whom he receives as sons through faith are his children. And all his children he disciplines. All his sons he disciplines. You see, the promise here is that not a single one of God's children will ever miss out on his loving discipline. Not a single one of God's children will ever miss out on his loving discipline. And you may say to yourself, well, boy, I'd love to miss out on that. Is there another way? Well, God's loving discipline, remember, is for his glory and it's for your good. It's that we might look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And not a single one of his children will ever be left without it. But I think there is an important distinction that we need to make here, and that's the distinction between punishment and discipline. I mentioned this the first night. God never acts punitively towards his children. I know what that word punitive means. I don't want to use 16-cylinder words that no one knows what they mean. We need to be on the same page here. Punitive. Yeah, to, to, to enact punishment. Yeah, God never acts in a way that's, that's, that's punishing his children. And so we need to make clear then the distinction. Well, what does punishment mean and what is uh, discipline? Punishment is what the Lord Jesus Christ received on the cross when God poured out the fury of his wrath towards sin. All of his hatred towards sin poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ for those who would believe. Okay, that was punishment. Now, that is never enacted on God's children. God's children are never punished, but we are disciplined in love. Okay, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. He paid all of our punishment. In a legal sense, it's done. Our sentence has been settled. There is no more punishment. What is the verdict? The verdict is it is finished. That's settled. Now, discipline though, loving correction, that's ongoing just as a father or a mother gives discipline or ongoing correction to their children. Uh, I'll give you the illustration of, of what correction kind of looks like. For, for those of you that may be endowed in your bowling skills, I'm not. All right? I can bowl every direction but straight, just like I can hit a golf ball every direction but straight. But, but there's no bumpers in golf. Praise be to the Lord that there are bumpers in bowling. And they can, and they can blow those things up and put them in the gutter, and so it helps people like me that are not endowed with great bowling skills to bowl well. Uh, as the ball bounces, you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Uh, well, that's, that's what discipline kind of looks like. You know, you th- think about a parent and a child, just ongoing correction through their life uh, to, to keep that life moving in a straight way down the lane. Uh, and I know it's a human illustration, and it's not the best theological illustration, but maybe that gives you somewhat of a framework for what discipline looks like. It keeps us moving straight down the lane, either to the right or to the left. And when we need to be bumped back in the lane a little bit, God lovingly corrects and lovingly disciplines that we might head straight down the lane. As God's children, we need 
Never fear his punishment. All of his punishment was poured out on Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And neither should we fear his discipline. We should welcome his discipline. We should thank him for his discipline. Because we know that it is with great purpose. Having said that, when our disobedience is great, God's discipline is sometimes great. Matter of fact, look at verse 6. You see that word chastises there? That's a strong word in the original language. Uh, And so sometimes discipline is painful. Sometimes discipline is more severe. But there is a clear distinction between punishment and distinction. As God's child, we never fear his punishment. Jesus paid it all. You see, when the father's hand wields the rod and a loving child receives the strokes, they may sting, but they don't wound. It may sting for a little while, but it doesn't wound. God disciplines us and he disciplines us for our good. He never exceeds what we need. He's always loving in his purpose with his discipline, that we might grow in godliness. You know, there are times, though, when we're tempted, even as, as believers, to envy those. We kind of look out at the world around us, and we, we see those who seem to have everything they want, to get everything they want, and to never have to pay the penalty for anything they do wrong. It just kind of seems like they have the perfect so-called life. We should, as, as growing believers, we should never envy that. We should never envy that. It ought to break our hearts, as a matter of fact. Because if we look back at verse 6, God disciplines all his sons. Now, by by context then, those who aren't disciplined, and we don't have to infer it by context, he clearly says it in the text, those who aren't disciplined are illegitimate sons. Those who don't, look at verse 8, those who don't experience discipline are illegitimate sons. The, The Greek word there for illegitimate, it means counterfeit. Counterfeit sons. You see, instead of spurning God's discipline in our lives, we ought to thank Him for it. When was the last time we thanked Him for His discipline? We thank Him for His blessing, right? Because in some twisted way, we think that His discipline isn't also a blessing. Right? We're really quick to thank God for His blessing. Thank you, God, for doing this. Thank you, God, for giving me this. Hey, thank you, God. That you care enough about my holiness that you're willing to discipline me as a son and as a daughter. Thank you that you love me and that you care for me as a father. Instead of spurning God's discipline in our lives, we ought to thank Him for it. We ought to thank Him for it. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for his glory each and every day.